Number nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> uh, greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Universal Freemason podcast. As always, I am your host, J.T. Asher, and I am the president and founder of the Universal Freemason Research Society, which is a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to teaching Masonic philosophies to the masses as a means to improve society. The Tyler has been dismissed. This podcast is open to everybody with an open mind and a willingness to absorb new or different ideas. <laughs> oh, Hey, uh, if you didn't know, if you couldn't figure it out, um, I love the White Album by the Beatles. Um, just don't play those opening words backwards. It, it can be scary. <laughs> uh, older Beatles fans uh, will relate. Uh, if you're a new Beatles fan, um, go get the White Album in vinyl. Uh, put it on your record player and uh, spin the uh, beginning of uh, Revolution number nine backwards, where he says, number nine, <laughs> or or don't. <laughs> yeah, scared the bejesus out of me when I did it uh, by accident, when I had that album a long time ago. Uh, hey, my apologies for being a, a bit late with this newest episode. Uh, I've all started school again uh, here recently. Uh wife has also had some medical issues that we've had to attend to and um so I'm, i got a little bit behind on the production uh but i'm gonna tell you I'm, I'm really happy to be here today with this episode and i'm really excited to read from the uh, ninth degree lecture or portions from it uh by albert pike from magnum opus here in in just a bit uh just catching up on some popular news items here. Something that rang close to home with me is uh, one of the most an anticipated stories in the United States going on while I w was, an was away and taking care of my wife um, was the release of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Report by the United States government. Uh, it was released a couple of days ago. Um, I do these podcasts I produce on a Sunday, uh, since for me, uh, Friday, Saturday, are uh, I observe Shabbat, so um, I don't do anything on those days. But uh, on Friday, just before Shabbat, um, the, the uh, UAP report came out from the U.S. government which uh, said that of 144 reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon, uh, the U.S. government could only explain one incident. So there were, there were 143 incidents reported by, uh, some of them reported by the U.S. military, if not all. Uh, a few of those videos came out probably two or three months ago, maybe a little longer, from Navy pilot uh, uh, cameras on their on their fighter planes, and it shows some unreal flying by these by these uh, 
UAPs, they're calling them now. It used to be called UFOs. And when I saw these videos, I was, especially the one called Gimbal, I was totally blown away. It looked like a, one of those old tops that you could spin on the floor as a kid. That's what it looked like to me. And the thing was doing all kinds of bizarre stuff in front of this Navy plane, and they couldn't catch it. Uh, I don't know if they were trying to. And there was also others that were flying really erratically and fast, uh, faster and more erratic than anyone could, could uh, figure out how they were doing it. The propulsion systems didn't seem to give off heat. So it left these pilots mesmerized, you know, like, what, what the heck is this? And the reason why it rings close to home for me is uh, I'm going to take this opportunity and share my own story of one of my most surreal encounters with what we uh, then called UFOs, what they call UAPs now. So it was winter of 1977, around 1977-78. I was 10 or 11 year, years old. I grew up in the uh, inner city of Detroit, Michigan. And at the time, in the house, it was my mom and dad and, and me and two brothers, my, my two older brothers. I'm the youngest. And we'd all been seeing some objects flying around at night for a few weeks. And there was no sound to these objects. No, they were low flights. And what we'd see would be like, it, would, it was a red light that would turn, the same light would turn different colors. So it would turn to green and yellow, back to red, and red to green to yellow. So, and it would fly over, these things would fly over low. You could make out like a cigar shape uh, against the sky. And it make no noise, or if there wasn't any noise at all, it was like a really faint humming sound. And it went fairly slowly. And when we would see these, we, you know, we would look through our bedroom window. You know, sometimes it would just be a sporadically, just kind of look out to see if you could see them again. And sure enough, you know, it seemed like that when we'd look out, one of us would be compelled to look out, seemingly. And you'd look out the window, and there it would be, and we'd all run... Uh, out to the street and kind of chase these objects on foot, you know, for a bit, minute and see where they would go or what was going on. And that went on, as I say, for a few weeks. And it was me and my brothers, and, and I think there were it was kind of a hubbub around the city about these things for a while. The most surreal, surreal um, incident for me uh, was one night, after it was dark outside and it was winter, I, I pulled up a chair and uh, to keep a sort of a uh, UFO watch, per se. And out of the back of the house was our kitchen. And there was a kitchen window in the very back. In the summer, uh, growing up in Detroit, it was brutal because it would be hot and humid. But the only thing in that kitchen window would be a fan facing outwards to get the heat out of the house we didn't have air conditioning and uh so there were a lot of sleepless nights 
and I remember sweating a lot. But anyway, uh, out of that same window, not of this winter, just a window, fans removed. Um, I could I could see out the back window. The backyard was covered with snow, and that'll be important to my story in a minute. Uh, everything was really covered with snow, and it was cold. I recall and. If you've ever been through a Michigan winter, uh, you know that that cold in Michigan cuts right through your to your bone, and you better be dressed, especially those cold winters we used to have. Um, you better be dressed pretty pretty thick, uh, with some pretty thick coats, <laughs> or you're gonna freeze. So, uh, but anyway, I was looking ahead in, into the distance where we would kind of see these lights before. And suddenly I was startled uh, by a rather large object that, without making a sound, flew very low over the house. And it flew so low that these rectangular lights that would go in succession one to the other clockwise, it was like a round object. So you see one large rectangular light come on, turn off, then the next one come on, turn on, next one. And it went around where you couldn't see it, but then it would come back around again. And it startled the hell out of me. And those lights, as I say, reflected on the uh, snow that was on the ground. That's how, that's how low it was. And uh, I, my first instinct was to run. One of my brothers was at home at the time, and he was upstairs in his room. I ran through the house. It was not a large house, but... I ran through the house to the stairs and called him to come down and you got to see this. So he hurried down. We hurried out to the, to the backyard, grabbed our coats. And by the time we get out there, you could still see this thing in the distance. That's how big it was. And you could still see the lights going around it, but it was farther away now, more in the distance, as I say. Now, the surreal part was is that as we stood there trying to figure out what the hell this thing was two fighter jets in formation flying low i could we could make out their white against the dark sky they were flying very low in formation and fast over our right shoulders from behind us as we were looking at this thing get farther away so our first instinct was to run into the house um and there was the kitchen that you ran into first from the back, and then there was a dining room where we had uh, a small hillbilly-ish chandelier. It was like a, supposed to be in the shape of a wagon wheel. And my dad loved westerns, so. But this chandelier was rocking back and forth hard. That's how, that's what the sound was like uh, with these jets. That's how fast they were moving and how low. And my parents at the time were in bed, which is right off the dining room, and they yelled out to us, you know, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, like, like me and my brother has something to do with it, right? So, <laughs> so we quickly told them that uh, military jets in formation just flew over the house. And this is like 9.30 and 10 at night, so there's no air shows that, you know, going on like they would have in the summer at Selfridge, and this is where the the uh, jets would have been launched from, Selfridge Air Force Base in Michigan. And, um, you know, we told them, yeah, this thing's chasing after something, you know. What? You know, and we didn't have time to talk, so we ran back out there to see where they went to, 
And by this time, we went back outside in the direction that the UFO flew. We're looking that way. Uh, we couldn't see it any longer. Uh, a few minutes went by, and we're standing there talking to each other. You know, what the heck? What did we just see? I can't believe it. You know, we're shaking, and not just from the cold, but, you know, this is startling. You know, you, you know, not every day you see scrambled jets flying over your house, right? And, um, and, and while we're standing there talking and closer to us and a little bit to the right of where this thing uh, disappeared to and where the jets went, um, there was this orange-white fireball-looking object that flashed up above our heads sort of low too, but higher than what the jets were at the time and all of that. At this point, we deemed it's probably not very safe to stay outside, so uh, we decided to go back in the house and subsequently talked about it for a while, got our thoughts, wits about us, and, you know, it's like not by now, it's 11.30 maybe at night, and then we went tried to go to sleep anyway. <laughs> so I didn't sleep very well that night. It was uh, that was on my mind all night. And and very interesting and interestingly, um, the next morning, as I was getting dressed, uh, I got dressed for some reason. I was thinking I was getting my shoes on or boots to go shovel snow outside. I was talking to my mom about this. Um, the um, TV was on, and my mom always watched Good Morning America, which is a national news and talk show. And I was trying to tell my mom, I'm like, I don't know what that was. And as I'm telling her, telling her, telling her this, um, Good Morning America announced that late last night, Selfridge Air Force Base scrambled fighter jets over Detroit to shoot down a weather balloon that was crossing into commercial traffic. <laughs> so there we go. And I, I heard that and shook my head and thought, man, yeah, I'm just a young kid, but I'm thinking, I've heard this weather balloon thing a lot, <laughs> you know, since Roswell. That's all they've said, weather balloon. So my instinct, even as a child, it wasn't to believe that disinformation because at, at that time, you know, Detroit was very heavily populated um, you could almost reach out across the uh, uh, way and touch your neighbor's house. I mean, that's how close the houses were. And at the time, they were lived in. They weren't abandoned like they are now. You know, the, the, the city was a thriving place at once. And so to think that the military would shoot something down over a heavily populated area, it, didn't, it still doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, you know... To this day, I have to say, that night kind of haunts me, and I think about it a lot, and I don't think I'll ever know what really happened or what really the object was. Um, so yes, when this UAP report came out, it was, it was like, well, I've seen things, and I know a lot of other people worldwide have seen some things, and, um, well, you know, we're... What are they controlled by? We don't know. Uh, where did they come from? We don't know. Uh, <laughs> and according to the report uh, that just came out, the government doesn't know either. The United States government doesn't know, are they? or they won't say. Um, so what are they? You know, where are they from? Your guess is as good as mine. 
And just curious, now I'm wondering if any of you listening to this seen anything like that. If you if you have, let me know. You know, drop me a, a direct message on Twitter or uh, you can email me. I'll give you the, the uh, Twitter address and the, my email address at the end of the show. Okay, uh, moving on, just a heads up. The sponsorship that we had from Anchor Podcast app... Um, has ended. It was a a one-year deal that Anchor took a chance on uh, not only this podcast, but several small podcasts. If you use Anchor app uh, in the last year, they would prompt you to say that, you know, if you want a sponsor, we're happy to be your first sponsor. And they would sponsor you and and they would give you uh, one penny per play and for Universal Freemason Research Society, uh, with 5,200 plays, that gave us, you know, fi- about $52 in a year. And sounds like a small amount, but as a very, 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 very tiny, small, tiny nonprofit who strives not to have much overhead at all, if any, uh, that $52 pays our... A business license fee to the state of Utah for the next five years, which is $10 a year. Um, our board members don't make anything uh, in this nonprofit. I don't make anything, any money. Um, but all we do is we take any money that we do get and it's put aside in the Universal Freemason Research Society nonprofit bank account. And we take the money out of that bank account that has right now $52 in it thanks to <laughs> Anchor Podcast app. So um so I want to say thank you to Anchor for being a sponsor paying our this will pay our business licenses for like I say the next 5 years. We appreciate it uh, very much. But good news, good news. Uh we do have a new sponsor and our new sponsor is the International Goat Riders Association. And uh, we're going to read from the ninth degree lecture from Magnum Opus by Albert Pike. And also we'll read from A Bridge to Light by Brother Rex Hutchins after a word from our new sponsor, the International Goat Riders Association. This is the Universal Freemason Podcast. I will be right back. Okay, and I am back. I am back. Um, I hope you enjoy our new sponsor. <laughs> Very short word. Uh, I love that um, myth of uh, riding the goat around the lodge room. That's an old myth from the 18th century, maybe the 19th century. I, I've always thought it was one of the better myths of Freemasonry, so that's why I kid and play with the goat sound. Okay. Uh, so today we are exploring parts of the lecture from the ninth degree of Scottish Rite Freemasonry, also known as Elu of the Nine. Now, Brother Rex Hutchins writes in A Bridge to Light that the lessons of the ninth degree are this. And if you ask me, this is very timely. So the first lesson is that Ignorance is the principal enemy of human freedom. 
So we always talk about light and light and darkness, or the light and the dark in Freemasonry. Light being knowledge and darkness being ignorance. And one of the goals of Freemasonry is to uh, trounce the darkness with the light and get rid of the ignorance with knowledge. Um, so that's one of the lessons that's explored in the ninth degree. And also a very, very, very timely lesson from the ninth degree is this, and it's very valuable. It's a very valuable fact. It's not even truth. This is fact. A free press is indispensable to true liberty. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. That's a, that's a, to me, especially in this, this time, after these last four years, very valuable uh, truth or fact to explore. And the other lesson from, according to Brother Rex Hutchins from the ninth degree, is that remorse and guilt are God's punishment and a more severe punishment uh, that we could find at the hands of our fellow man, which is astounding because, you know, they can paddle you once for doing the wrong thing, but when you do the wrong thing, you do have to live with your own thoughts and you do have to live with, with the uh, sometimes the uh, trepidation and uh, some, how, how to put this correctly. Sometimes living within your own mind sometimes is harder than living with, at, with the punishment at the hands of man. So guilt and uh, uh, guilt and remorse are, are much more horrible than that. And I think that as we get older and we start looking back on things that we've done in our lives that we could, should have and maybe could have done differently, if we don't have some guilt and remorse, I think maybe we should all seek those of us that don't have it. I would encourage some counseling <laughs> because guilt and remorse as you get older and, and look back at life, sometimes um, it is it is punishment enough. There's a lot of things that I would have done differently had I had the tools to know better. Well, let's read uh, some excerpts from the ninth degree. Uh, let me also add before I do read, I'm sorry. Um, I'm only reading ex excerpts from the ninth degree that stand out to me. I would highly encourage anybody listening, uh, seek out these lectures yourself. It's from uh, Magnum Opus by Albert Pike. Uh, you can buy Magnum Opus from uh, many sources. Uh, the source I get it from, as I've mentioned before, and they do not endorse this show because they're an independent body, but it's the Scottish Rite Research Society and the Scottish Rite Library um, uh, bookstore has this for sale to the public. So you can get this book yourself. And as I say, that is a, that's a, uh, that is not a sponsorship from Scottish Rite Research Society. They are an independent body. They don't endorse anybody. Um, but I'm just saying that's, um, I find a lot of, of uh, knowledge from them. Well, let's read the excerpt now, and I'll quit rambling. Excerpt from the Ninth Degree says, Albert Pike wrote that Masonry teaches that all power is delegated for the good 
and not for the injury of the people. And that when power is perverted from its original purpose, the compact between government and the people is broken. And that's an interesting point here. Um, and I would say it's not only uh, the compact between the people and the government, but if you're in a position of power and you're not wielding that power evenly, then you have also broken that compact as a, as a Freemason. And that means if you're a worshipful master of a lodge or if you are a head of a department where you work, if you're a supervisor where you work, if you're in any kind of control. And one of the things that's important to remember uh, is that democracy is not, not, not a majority rule system. It's not majority rule. Democracy as a concept comes from two words from the Greek. And those two words are, and I might butcher this pronunciation, but I'm going to give it my best American shot. The two words are demos, meaning the people, and kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S, meaning power of. So democracy is power of the people. That's its meaning, power of the people. And it means all people, uh, not merely based upon the will of the people or the majority of the people, it's important to note that minority interests should also be revered and protected in a true democracy. The minority voice should also have as equal a voice as the majority. And sometimes that minority voice should be even more so counted uh, than the majority because it becomes morally unreasonable to trample over the human rights of the minority to suit the needs of the majority. So we have to remember that the best power is equal power. The best voice is equal, vo equal voice, equality through all. Um, and then we find ourselves de delegating power uh, more evenly and wielding it correctly. Um, so if you are in a position of power right now, remember, you know, don't trample, trample on anybody. Um, treat everybody equally and fairly. And I know personally sometimes that's harder to do than to say and to, to consider. Um, but that's the, our first, that's going to be our first uh, reading there. Masonry teaches that all power is delegated for the good. So if you're wielding your power for your own interest or to uh, trample over somebody else, you're not wielding it correctly as a mason. Okay, the next, the next paragraph I want to read is this. This stood out to me today. The true mason identifies the honor of his country with his own honor. I'll read that again. The true mason identifies the honor of his country with his own honor. Nothing more conduces to the beauty and glory of one's country than the preservation against all enemies of its civil and religious liberty. I'm going to read that again. 
The true Mason identifies the honor of his country with his own honor. Nothing more conduces to the beauty and glory of one's country than the preservation against all enemies of its civil and religious liberty. Now again, I find this exceedingly timely. The right to practice your religion without threat from your government or from your employer or from your lodge is a right worth standing up for and defending at all costs. And it is our duty as Masons to stand up and ensure that those very rights to all, no matter if we agree or understand a different religious practice or not. And it's the same with the right to a free press and free speech. And now, when you hear anybody say, quote, the press is the enemy of the people, unquote, as a Mason, you should oppose that idea with all of your might. Because without the right to a free press and free speech, Almost every other civil liberty is moot. We should also be vigilant against the death of the truth and facts, especially when facts are compromised under the weight of conspiracies that we're seeing more and more of, where a lie is repeated so often lately, it becomes the truth itself. But what are facts often can dispel versions of truth. So stay vigilant. If it does not seem right, then do some research. Weigh it out against common sense. And, you know, where there's common sense, that's where light usually comes in. <laughs> um, and that's through deeper thought and more education. So don't be afraid to educate yourself. Go back to school. Um, Read a textbook. <laughs> By all means, there's free courses everywhere online if you choose to do that. But, um, you know, don't just take things at face value. Especially, you know, it seems lately, especially the way that Freemasonry gets attacked, it's like we're, and, and it's been attacked for a long time, but, you know, we need to stand up and tell, let people know that, you know, we're not this evil entity. <laughs> there's, there's not as many secrets as people want there to be. Um, but let's move forward. Uh, this is going to be the closing paragraph from the ninth degree lecture. And uh, it's also a favorite of mine. And it goes like this. Forget not what you have devoted yourself in this degree. Defend weakness against strength, the friendless against the great, the oppressed against the oppressor, and be ever vigilant and watchful of the interest and honor of your country. And may the great architect of the universe give you that strength and wisdom which shall enable you to well and faithfully perform these high duties. And those high duties, once again, I'll read it again, is to defend weakness against strength, defend the friendless against the great, defend the oppressed against the oppressor, and to be ever vigilant and watchful of the interest and honor 
and honor and honor of your country. So important, especially now. And as I mentioned earlier, it is our duty to look after the interests of the minority. That's exactly what this last paragraph Pike wrote said. It is our duty. It is our duty to look over the interests of the minority while also interpreting what the majority interests are so that power is wielded fairly and equitably. Very high duty, but it's not an easy duty. <laughs> and But as Masons, you know, we must be sure to stand up for the weak and to be ever watchful for the oppressor. And, you know, sometimes the oppressor sneaks in and might even carry a populist theme. But remember, just because an act or an idea is a popular, it might not be correct and moral, especially if the idea threatens or makes an enemy of any civil liberty. Stand against those ideas when you see them, fellow Masons, or the very right to call ourselves Masons could cease to exist. And with that, we will end this episode. And I thank you sincerely for your time listening to this podcast with so many more out there that you could be listening to. Thank you so much for 5,700 plays now since March of 2020. You can follow me on Twitter at you Freemason, the at sign, the letter U Freemason. And you can also feel free to, to direct message me there. Um, or you may even email me if you wish at universalfreemason03 at gmail.com. I am your host, J.T. Asher, and this has been the Universal Freemason Podcast. I'll see you next time. Go in peace. So mote it be. Thank you.